Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. I'm Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Coming up on the show today, I'll be joined by a frequent City Journal contributor, the futurist Mark Mills, to discuss his new book, Digital Cathedrals. It's an important contribution about the incredible energy demands of our modern digital infrastructure, the massive warehouse-sized data centers built over the last few decades that has allowed billions of people to access the global cloud of information and online services like streaming videos. It's published by Encounter Books. There's a link to it in the podcast description, and you can find it on Amazon. Before we get started with the interview, I want to note that this week marks the fourth anniversary of launching the 10 Blocks podcast, which just keeps on growing. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in, and we hope you'll tell your friends to subscribe to the podcast and maybe get them a copy of City Journal magazine while you're at it. My conversation with Mark Mills begins after this. Hello again, everyone. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me in the studio today is Mark Mills. Mark is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, writes regularly for City Journal, and he's a partner in an energy tech venture fund. He's had a long career analyzing the energy economy in government and the private sector, and we're happy to have him on the podcast. Mark has an interesting, pithy new book published by Encounter called Digital Cathedrals. We'll link to it in the description, and you can find it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Steve Forbes calls it a mini-sized book that packs a mega-sized wallop of information about the digital age. Mark, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Brian. Your book has a striking title. I just mentioned it, Digital Cathedrals. What you're really talking about is data centers, the physical infrastructure that allows us to shop online, to yeah. stream videos, everything else digital. But that term, digital cathedral, can you explain what that means to you? Well, as a sort of a, uh, an amateur student of the history of technology, one era of history that I am most fascinated by was the era of the construction of the great cathedrals. The masons of that era uh, were revered. Uh, the cathedrals, of course, were built for a theological purpose, but they also served a commercial purpose. They were the epicenters of commerce in the villages. But more importantly, the ability to build those cathedrals, they were the biggest habitable edifices ever built by humanity for thousands of years. And in fact, the tallest cathedral, which was completed in the 14th century, remained the tallest habitable building ever built by humans until the Woolworth Building in Manhattan in the early 1900s, sort of 500-year run. So it, it epitomized the technology of the era, that the, what one could even build such things, and the reverence. In our era, we're building these massive data centers by what we could call digital masons, that there are thousands of them. There are more of them being built than there were cathedrals. It's not just the technology that allows us to do the modern digital cathedral. For me, it's also it's kind of the reverence that we hold <laughs> in our modern era mm -hmm. for the, uh, the companies and the people who do these things. It's all, we're, we're, many people are in, in awe of that, almost in a quasi-theological way. For years, we've heard the phrase, data is the new oil bandied about, um, you know, when it comes to digital technology. 
But data requires energy yeah. to transmit, and uh, you calculate that the global internet cloud now uses more energy than is produced by all the planet's wind and uh, solar farms combined. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yet despite that, nearly every tech firm in the country has now taken the pledge to transition to use 100% renewable energy. Uh, how do companies expect to meet those goals, and are they even remotely uh, realistic? Well, no, they're not realistic, but there's good uh, PR. It may be serious to give them credit. It's certainly good virtue signaling that we're going to run our digital cathedrals from wind and solar. As a practical matter, all of them know, in fact, all of them honestly disclose as much at their websites, that they're operations physically operate, they're physically connected to the conventional grid using whatever electricity the grid provides, which is globally, on average, uh, roughly 3 to 4% of global electricity from wind and solar, maybe 5 next year. So if the world Steadily growing. It's growing. Yeah. So the question would be, uh, we already know that the digital enterprise broadly uses more energy than all the wind and solar farms produce. The question is, how fast are the two growing? Wind and solar are growing very fast, but the demand for digital things and the fuel for them, which is electricity, is growing even faster, which, by the way, in my world is a good thing because this reflects the uh, utilization of the most profound and biggest new infrastructure that humanity has ever built. Uh, Google, to single them out, uh, for the last two years, and this relates to the last question, they've reported that their company has actually made the energy transition, that they're powering all of their yeah. operations with renewables. Uh, that doesn't seem to be true, is it? Well, so they're using a, uh, to use a phrase, a Jesuitical uh, <laughs> definition of powering. Okay. Their data centers are directly connected to the grid. So if the data centers are in, in Iowa, they're using coal and wind. If they're in uh, southeastern United States, using natural gas and some wind. If they're in Texas, they're using gas mostly and then some wind. Uh, what they do and what all companies do is they buy, to stick with theology, they buy indulgences. It's a legal transaction in which if you purchase the output from a wind farm somewhere on the planet – anywhere on the planet, in fact, you get a renewable credit. You can then legally bolt that credit onto your facility, data center, or could be an office building, like Empire State Building, which did that. The Empire State Building bragged that it was 100% renewable powered by buying an equivalent amount of electricity that it consumes on the New York grid from wind farms in Texas. Last I checked, you can't move the electricity from those wind farms to Manhattan. Right. So these are these are uh, niceties. Um, they feel good in PR, but the practical reality is that these facilities depend on a reliable grid with low-cost electricity. Um, you know, every month we're reading about improvements to green energy technology, whether it's uh, improved yeah. battery storage. Yeah. Uh, you know, wind is becoming cheaper in certain areas for sure. Uh, but you've remained pretty skeptical, I think, it's fair to say, about the ability of the current renewable energy sources to fully power the future economy. Uh, what are you looking at that environmental activists and green investors are missing? Reality? Yes. I, I <laughs> so, guess it just comes down to it when you I mean, talk no. about Jesuitical <laughs> distinctions. That's and, right. I, don't be, I mean, I'm only being half facetious. So, uh, of course, when 
farms, wind turbines and solar cells and batteries get better. This is what engineers always do. The, there's two questions one has to answer in the real world is how much better can they get because those are, those are boundaries that are just di dictated by physics. Mm -hmm. And could you use them at, as good as they are at scales where you replace, which is the contention, replace all the oil, gas, and coal used in the world? The short answer is no. Uh, not only do we not have the scale to do that, the, the world gets 3% of its energy from wind and solar. 54% of all of its energy from oil and gas. To replace the oil and gas share would require a infrastructure expansion of hardware, concrete, steel, nickel mining, 90 times more than we did to increase the infrastructure of oil and gas over the last half century. This, this, is, this is sort of fantastical, not gonna happen. There'll still be a lot more windmills and solar arrays in the world, of course, lots yeah. more Teslas, but they're not gonna replace all the oil, gas, and coal. And so therefore, everything to do with data, which infuses the entire economy increasingly and deliberately, will remain dependent on the mix of energy that we use to provide society. What's your view of the possibilities for battery storage? You know, this is, uh, this is something which, which is improving. Mm -hmm. It's been some some advances uh, in recent years, but it would seem to be very crucial for, um, you know, electric vehicles, say, to become fully operational, right? Right. It's crucial for electric vehicles. It's a crucial for crucial solar power. Yeah, crucial for the electric grid too, because mm -hmm. when the sun doesn't shine, the wind doesn't blow, you need to have energy. So you have two choices. Um, you can either store it in batteries, if you like, or you can build a shadow grid sufficient to provide the power when the wind isn't blowing and the sun's not shining. And the size of the shadow grid would have to be rather large because it would be very expensive because you don't use it very much. All you need to know is, for example, last, uh, I think two weeks ago in Alberta, which they have a lot of wind farms there, there were four days where it was cloudy in a row with no sun and no wind at all. In the United States for the last 30 years, there have been dozens of times when the entire continent of the United States has been cloud covered continuously for two days and no wind, the whole country, be calmed. That would mean that if you're planning a grid for a few decades, you would have to count on a dozen or more times where you would need to replace the entire grid instantaneously right. for days. The, the cost of that is in the trillions of dollars. It's just- Boggles the mind. Boggles. So build batteries. The scale of batteries involved also boggles the mind. So if we just picked one day of total storage we'd need for the United States of no wind and sun, uh, we would have to use the physical output of the Tesla Gigafactory, or world's biggest battery factory. We'd have to use a 1,000 years of production from that battery factory to build enough batteries to be available to store that much energy. I'm not even talking about what that costs. I'm just talking about the scale. Yeah. But in the physics of storage of energy, the thing to keep in mind is that Storing energy, which is critical, storing food is critical, storing water is critical. It costs about 50 cents a barrel of oil to store a barrel of oil for a month. That's such a rough average storage cost. To store a barrel of oil equivalent of energy in a battery, the cost is about $1 to $200. That's what, this is a big gap. Yeah. It's not going to be closed with subsidies and won't even be closed with the physics of batteries. 
One of the next steps in the modern, modern you know, digital transformation of our world and economy is, is of course, artificial intelligence, AI, yeah. as everybody calls it. Now, it's an incredibly power-intensive form of computing, as I understand it, um, and the applications for it are extraordinary yeah. and, you know, hard to imagine. Where do you see um, the development of artificial intelligence at right now? Where do you think it's going to be taking us? And what does it mean for energy consumption? So artificial intelligence is both underappreciated and overhyped. It's kind of hard to imagine that they're simultaneously possible. The, the overhyping is in partly in the fear of what it will do, but also uh, expecting or promising something that can't happen as fast as claimed. So artificial intelligence, though, is, is as big a leap in computing as going from mainframes to personal computers. It is possibly a bigger leap than that because what we're now doing is, is changing what we use computers for. Computers were intended to compute, hence the word. Spreadsheets, calculate, th calculate things, give a specific answer, an outcome. What AI does, what artificial intelligence is intended to do is not compute, but to estimate, to advise. That's what Siri does, or Google Voice, all these, and Alexa. Uh, this is a profoundly different use of computing. It turns out in the engineering sense, it's the single most energy-intensive use and data-intensive use of computing in the history of computing. So it promises in the social economic sphere some remarkable advances. Not, you know, the idea that, um, for example, that uh, AI will replace pathologists in reading an X-ray film. I don't think that's going to happen. What it'll actually do is amplify the efficacy of the pathologist, reduce errors, improve accuracy. That's what AI does broadly. This is a great thing. Uh, and that would apply to every feature of life, not just driving vehicles, but and automating uh, supply chains and changing how we can do translations and communicate. So it, it's the, the applications are, in a sense, more unlimited than imagining, say it's 1984, who imagined Amazon? Mm -hmm. Who imagined e-commerce? No, we thought then only about email. You know, you, you, you've got mail of AOL days. So the, the transformations will be as significant as that. But because it's so profoundly energy intensive and so profoundly useful, it actually has pretty, pretty interesting energy implications. Facebook has already said that their data center power use is doubling every year. And they're saying it's almost entirely because not just there's more social media, because of AI. Fascinating. Uh, before we wrap up, Mark, why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what your next project is, what you're working on? Well, my next project is uh, a little grander than just digital cathedrals in the future of energy. It's the future of technology in general. So the interesting thing, if you're a forecaster, is the thing that's, I think, easiest to forecast is technology. It's hard to forecast politics because of because of humans. And econom economies are a little hard to forecast. But I think technology is relatively easy to forecast uh, in, its, in its direction and, and structure. And it's what I've been doing a lot of my life. So I'm coalescing a lot of the lessons I've learned as a forecaster, not just in energy uses and energy production, not just in computing, but across this domain. Um, and in doing this research over the years, it's led to me to a conclusion as sort of the opposite of where the current zeitgeist is, which even though people are unhappy about the disruptions from digital technologies, we have a general theme that innovation, the foundational innovation has slowed down. A lot of scholars think that. 
I think they're profoundly wrong. I think we live at the beginning of an era as profoundly transformative as the so-called Industrial Revolution of a century ago. And it means that for people, particularly people who are young today, it's the most exciting time you could be alive. Don't forget to check out uh, Mark Mill's latest book. It's called Digital Cathedrals. It's published by Encounter Books. You can find it, as I mentioned, at the top on Amazon, and we'll link to it in the description. His latest piece for City Journal is, is drawn from the book. It's on our website. It's called Old Energy, New Boom. You can follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark P. Mills. You can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. And always, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, give us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Mark Mills, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.